I found myself at Sam's, and uh, that song was on playing on the way home, so I connected it with a story that happened while I was at Sam's. And uh, if you ever go to Sam's, you know that they uh, have that thing where you have to like get your stuff, and they have the best app ever because you scan all your stuff, pay for it on your phone, just walk out the door like you're stealing everything. It's really a fun, wild feeling. Um, but uh, but you're not. I don't know to do that. Don't recommend that. But uh, on the way out, they always have that person there who stands there and who scans to make sure you're not stealing everything. And so there was a lady there, and there was a couple of people in front of me in line, and they were uh, going through, and I um, I was about ready for my turn. There was a couple ahead of me that had quite a bit of stuff. I had like one thing. And uh, which is going to Sam's and buying one thing is like a, I shouldn't do that. But uh, I did it that day. And so they were headed up. And so they walked by the lady who was scanning them, the security person. And, uh, but then all of a sudden they get, were back to the door and she said, just a second to me. And she ran after them. I thought, uh-oh, somebody, somebody broke a rule. Somebody's going to get arrested here. I'm going to be right down here. Get the phone out. This will be fun to watch. Well, she went and she whispered to the lady of the couple. And um, I couldn't figure out what was going on. They talked for a few minutes and then she came back. And I thought, well, that was anticlimactic. I thought nobody's in cuffs or anything like that. But uh, and so she said, oh, I just loved her scent. I had to find out what it was. I thought, oh, okay, there you go. And I thought, there you go. I have never had that conversation with another one of my guy buddies. Hey, what are you wearing today? That's a, that's a beautiful scent that you have on. But but there's something attractive about a scent that uh, causes at least half the population of the planet to stop and ask, well, what are you wearing? What is that smell? I must know uh, because I might want to smell like that too. And so. Uh, and so, um, I don't know, I think that has a point I'm trying to make here. But uh, when I heard that song then on the way home, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Um, and I, I got to thinking, the Bible says a lot about um, a, a fragrance. It uses that word, um, especially in the New Testament, well, Old Testament and New Testament both. It uses that idea of a fragrance. And, and oftentimes, um, it's speaking in our relationship with God, that uh, in the Old Testament, when um, they would offer sacrifices, um, if they offered those sacrifices with a repentant, obedient heart, God would say that that fragrance is beautiful to him. It was like whatever your favorite scent is. I don't know what it is, but uh, um, apple pie or whatever it may be in those little candles that you sometimes we, we light. And so whatever it may be, it's that beautiful aroma. It's that beautiful scent, a beautiful fragrance. And yet in the same context that God would find people that they would go through the motion of offering sacrifices, but they would do it from a heart that is unrepentant, unobedient. Um, and God would say that smell is a stench to me. Um, and, and so if you've ever had a bad smell, uh, just it's hot outside, so go to your trash can outside and lift that lid after it's been in there for a few days, that terrible smell. Uh, that's the picture. And so God in our relationship, he cares about what we smell like, not literally, but he cares about what our souls smell, what, what, the, um, what, the, what the smell that we're giving off is. And yet in First and Second Corinthians, it uses that imagery not to just talk about us and God, but also to, to other people. And that as Christians, um, that there's a scent, there's a fragrance that we emanate, and that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a fragrance that we appreciate, and, and sometimes the world does not. And so uh, as I was thinking about that theme, I think it fits well with, with what we're talking about today. Over the next couple of weeks uh, leading up through Labor Day here, we're going to just look at a, a two or three things, that the things Christians do. Um, and there's lots of things we could put in this category of things Christians do, but I'm going to focus one on today. Uh, focus today on one that is simply the idea is they persuade others. We live in a world where it's not really appreciated or accepted uh, to push, share your beliefs with somebody else. 
you have your truth, I have my truth, I will keep my truth, and you will keep your truth. Don't you dare try to impose my truth on, on, on me. Um, and yet, as you read the story of the Scriptures, as you read the story of the Bible, there is a part of that Christian life that is not to be done rudely, that is not to be done obnoxiously, it is not to be done thoughtlessly, but it is still a part of the life is that we, we persuade others to think about and to know who Jesus is. And so that good news, the gospel says, is not meant to be kept for ourselves. It is meant to be shared. And as we see, as we're going to look at today, uh, the process of how we share that is, is important. And I just want to encourage you in that process. Because um, as we aim to live out our lives in a way that other people see it, uh, the goal is the same scene that I saw in, in Sam's. It's, it's somebody sees something from your life. They see how you respond, maybe to some very hard things. Or, or your life is lived in such a way that you earn a right to be able to talk about why do you live your life that way. Um, and, and it's a privilege then to be able to say, you know what, my life is from Christ. Uh, my life is for him, it's from him, it's not perfect, I'm striving to follow him the best that I can and to grow in him. And there's an opportunity then to persuade other people to say, you know what, Jesus is good, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, and you can experience that as well. And so today we're going to look at three different passages of scripture, each of them longer as we go. So I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you, but the first one's short, the second one's medium, and the third one is long, okay? And so what I'm going to ask for you to do today is, is I'm going to try to be the best reader I can be, if you would try to be the best listener co-reader with me on that, because uh, I know sometimes when we read lengthy things, it can get a little, we can tune out a little bit. But I've got a point to it all, because I think each one builds on the, net, on the one before it. And, and so I hope that by the time we're done this, we'll get a picture of, of the heart behind what it means to persuade other people, and maybe even what it looks like to go about doing it in a helpful way. And so I begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, flip open there, your Bible app, or it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, the first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 11. Uh, our, for our word, persuade, shows up in this passage. And I, and I think it starts, well, why, in a world in which we're encouraged not to, to share, not to persuade, why would you or I as a Christian still have that as a, as a value to say, you know what, my faith is not just meant for me, it's meant to be shared with other people. Why do we share? Well, I think this passage is just going to answer the question, because we care. We share what we have about Jesus and what we know about Jesus because we care. We care about him, we care about other people, we care about the good news. And so Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians 5.11, these words. When he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. And if you read the context before that, he talks about all the things that God is doing through Jesus in our life to save us. We try to persuade others. It's that word. It's that idea of persuading other people. And what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your consciences. And then he builds on that, and not only do or would we persuade it, but a few verses later in verse 14, he uses another word that's, that's um, a persuading kind of word. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so that idea of persuasion and the idea of, I, I, I want to, not, again, not obnoxiously, I don't want to be a jerk, I don't need to be rude, but just as a value in my life, when opportunity arises, I want to try to persuade other people to, to think about Jesus, to know Jesus, and to uh, 
have an opportunity to respond to him certainly is, is compelled from within because we think about what Christ has done for us. And the more that I realize what Christ has done for me, the more I am compelled to say, this is such good news. This does such good and powerful things in my life. So why would I not want then to share this with somebody else who maybe is struggling, maybe who is lost, maybe who is wandering through life, and they might find him to be helpful and to be Lord as well. And so when you and I have tasted Christ and found him to be the very best thing we'll ever find, it is hard to stay silent. It's probably impossible to stay silent, and we are compelled to share what we have found. Okay, And so that leads us to the statement. I know I left a big blank thing in the middle of your outline that drives some of you a little nervous because you're like, we don't have an outline. We can't do that, can we? And we can. We're going to do it. But I'm going to give you a thing you can write in big letters, fill in that space, and you won't have to worry about the rest of the morning here, okay? Here's the thing I just want you to think about with me. This is not rocket science, but this is the, the gist of what I want you to take from here today. That Christians persuade people when they choose to follow Jesus and are prepared to explain why. It's a simple statement. It's been repeated throughout history of Christ's followers that the reason we persuade people when we choose to really follow Jesus and the more that I follow him and the more that I find him to be good and the more that I find him to be a help in my life and the more I see him working in my life, the more I'm going to be prepared to be able to explain why I follow him. Because people are going to begin to ask as we're going to see in the next passage that, that when you live differently than maybe others do, Somebody's going to ask a question eventually. Somebody's going to ask, why do you do that? Why don't you do that? Why do you see this differently? Why? And you're going to have an opportunity to explain why. Now, what happens once you explain why? That's not really up to you. That's up to them and whether they love that, hate that, or whatever they may do. But the opportunity to explain why still needs to be treasured and prepared for the best we can. And so that thinking is kind of comes out of this next passage we're going to read, the second passage from 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bible, flip over there to 1 Peter 3. We're going to read beginning in verse 8 down through verse 18. And, uh, and, and what Peter shows us and reminds us of in this passage is, is he kind of gives us the heart behind, okay? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 that, that we pers- try to persuade people, we're compelled to do it, but, but why? What does that look like? Where does that come from? Well, Paul, or excuse me, Peter, in this passage, as he writes to these Christians who have been, in chapter 1, who are aliens and strangers, many of them have been uh, dispersed because of persecution, they're, they're in different places, they're in hard places, um, the world around them is, is making it very, very hard for them to be a Christian, um, and so Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to help them and to guide them, and in the midst of that, he, he, he says, this is what it looks like to be a persuader. This is what persuasion looks like from the inside out, right? It starts at a heart level and it moves out. And I love how he does this because I don't know if you've ever had somebody whose life really doesn't measure up to Jesus very much, but they keep talking to you about Jesus, and that's never an appealing thing. And so what Peter does is he brings together life and words, and he blends them together. And before he gets to words, he talks a lot about life and says, this is how you live life. And when you live this way, it's going to bring opportunities for you to open your mouth and say that Jesus is the reason for this, and and talk about him. And so the two things are going to go together as you live the life. So it begins this in verse 8, as he describes the life that he wants them to live. It says, finally, all of you be like-minded and be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insults. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, 
Because this, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Okay, just stop there for a second and think, if you were to really take those verses seriously, I heard a, uh, a thing in a Sunday school class preparation a few weeks ago, it talked about a guy who wrote a book, said he, he tried to obey the, the Old Testament Bible, part of his Bible, faithfully for a year. He tried to obey all the commands, keep everything it told me to do, tried to do everything it did, all these weird things he didn't understand, he just did them for a whole year. And so if you were to take this and do that same thing with it, uh, just think what life would look like if every day, if every moment you're striving to be like-minded with other Christian brothers and sisters, that you practiced a sympathetic spirit that was really strong when you, that you chose love over all the other things you could choose, you, you lived compassionately and humbly, and, and when pe- people did things to you, there was, there was blessing that came out of your mouth and out of your life instead of evil or insults um, or cursing or whatever it may be. Just the difference of that life, okay? That's immediately going to catch people's attention if you pursue that, right? People are going to sit up and think, well, that person does it differently. That person doesn't live like a lot of people I know. Um, And then Peter goes on to quote an Old Testament passage that kind of reinforces this. He says, for whoever, in verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. In other words, when you choose this, God sees it. He's watching. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Excuse me as I choke to death. It was against the Lord, against those who do evil. And then he comes back and he, he kind of makes the case, okay, choose this good life. Choose this life that uh, just for, by, in passing, looks a lot like another guy that we claim to be following. Looks a lot like Jesus, right? There's a lot of Jesus in those verses. And then he says, well, if you choose that, most people are going to think, well, if I live this life, there's probably some pretty good things that are going to come. People are going to think well of me. I mean, most people, if I know that they live like this, they're well-respected and people like them. They're pretty popular people um, to hang around with. Um, but then he asked the question, well, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And the logical question is, well, if I live that life, if I'm eager to do good, most people are probably going to applaud that. But that's not always the case. Because these Christians are trying to live for Jesus. And what they have found is not good coming back at them, but anger, of wrath, of persecution, all kinds of painful things coming back at them. So he asked the question, well, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right... You're still blessed. So don't allow the circumstances that are painful to think, well, God doesn't love me. God's not blessing me just because I'm trying to live this life for him. He says, sometimes it's going to work out that way. And he says, you know what? One of, your, one of the things they're probably struggling with because of their, they're living the life, but it's just not really coming back at them in a good way is fear. And so he tells them, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. You don't have to be afraid because, as he just said a moment ago from that Old Testament passage, that the eyes of the Lord are on you. He's watching you. He hears you. He knows where you're at. So don't be afraid. And then he flips it over to live the life. And in verse 15, he flips it over to if you live this life, somebody is going to ask the question in verse 15. But in your hearts, instead of fearing them, revere Christ as Lord. Set him as Lord of your life. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Especially with these people, they're living in a hard existence, living in a hard life, and, and it's just not, not easy at any level. And people are thinking, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep living this life when it just gets harder and harder and harder? And you're going to have the chance to say it's because Jesus is worth it. And let me tell you about this Jesus that I know that makes this hard life all the, worth it in every, way, in every level, in every, everything I could do for him. But then he notes that. But don't be rude about it. Don't be obnoxious about it. 
God doesn't need jerks. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. As you answer and as you're having these conversations, there should be gentleness in your tone, gentleness in your attitude, and respect. Respect for God, respect for other people. Just the tone of what you do should be gentle and respectful. He goes on to say, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then he brings Jesus back into the conversation again. He kind of highlights him at the beginning of this passage, but then he brings Jesus back and says, Now remember, when you're going through hard things, and that hard thing oftentimes is we're just looking for the quickest way out of the hard thing. But Peter says, Don't be so quick to leave the hard thing, because it's in the hard thing that oftentimes God does the most of the good things. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. For Christ also suffered once for sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, everything that you read in the crucifixion story, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the hard stuff he went through, he was righteous. And all the unrighteous people are persecuting him and coming at him, making his life very painful and hard. But what was the fruit of that? Because he went through it. It brought us to God. The reason that we can come to God is because he didn't give up. And so he saw that that affliction, that hardship, opened up a door that allowed him to be able to bring us back to God. And then the same thing is true, that when things get hard in your life, especially if you're persecuted and you're faithful through it, boy, there's an open opportunity there for God to be able to bring other people back to him through that witness in that moment, okay? And so he's encouraging us to think and and our hearts to be in the right place to say, this is the kind of person I want to be. I'm striving to be a 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9 kind of person. I'm trying to live the life. I'm trying to be ready when the answers come. And I want to take you one more passage, and it's a long one, okay? It's Acts chapter 26, because I think what Peter says is flushed out in a real-life situation in Acts chapter 26, okay? And so we're going to read most of this chapter minus two verses, I think. So if you're one of those people who reads a chapter in the Bible a day, I got you taken care of here, okay? I'm going to scratch that off your list, and you can take a nap this afternoon or something. But I'm going to scratch off one of those things for you here, because what Paul does in Acts chapter 26, I really think he flushes out what Peter is talking about um, in, in 1 Peter 3, about how he... Um, tries to um, pursue people, how he tries to persuade them to think about Jesus, even though his life and his situation is in a hard place. All right? And so the context of Acts 26, Paul has been in prison for two years. He's not there because he's a violent criminal. He's not been there for anything he's done wrong legally. He's there because in Jerusalem there was a dispute between the religious leaders and, and it was kind of like either arrest me or I'm going to die kind of thing. So they put him in jail for a little while to figure this whole Jewish dispute thing out. They're going to kill him there so he gets taken to another place and for two years he just kind of becomes a, a political football that nobody wants to deal with nobody wants to let him go because then all the Jewish leaders will be angry at him um, and they just don't know what to do with him they just don't know what to do and so Agrippa and Festus are a couple of kings that, that have just kind of been sitting on this thing for a while and so in Acts chapter 26 Paul gets the opportunity to speak to them now imagine put yourself in that situation right you've been in jail unjustly for two years not probably been what you, if you were to map out your life five years ago, two years in jail unjustly probably wasn't on the list. And so the first thing that you and I might say is, look, I got a problem here. I'm not supposed to be here and make this all about me. But that's not not at all what Paul does. 
Paul is very focused on the opportunity in his hard situation in a frustrating time. It is still, he's just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who saved his soul, right? He's very much focused on that. So Paul says this, beginning in Acts chapter 26, verse 1. He has an opportunity to tell his testimony in front of these kings to say, this is who I was, this is where I've come from, this is what Jesus did, and this is why I hope that you'll think about Jesus too. All right? So he says this. So just watch this unfold as we read it together. Then Agrippa, one of the kings, said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. So I don't know what the motion was, but he made a motion with his hand, all right? And so King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. Now again, remember what Peter said? Do it with gentleness and reverence. You're going to note that as you read through here. Paul is, is never condescending. He is never rude. He is not accusatory of these people. He wants them to hear him. All right? And so, so I, I, I'm fortunate to stand here, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. In other words, he tries to bring in all that. Look, I lived as a faithful Jew for a long, long time, and what I am today is simply a fulfillment of everything that we ever hoped what God would do, that he would have sent us a Messiah. And this is why I'm here today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So what's he doing? He's talking about his former life, right? I haven't always been this follower of Jesus that I am today. Let me tell you about who I used to be. And so I, it's, I used to oppose the name of Jesus, and that is what I did in Jerusalem. And on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Again, just feel the weight of those words, right? We're putting people to death, and I'm voting for it. All right? that's, a, that's a serious thing to own for himself. Many a time when I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme, so forcing someone to deny their God, to deny they believe in Christ, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Again, so he's owning some, some pretty uh, harsh behavior in his life. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, that's a weird phrase. But I love it because I think what it indicates is that although Paul has been resisting this and persecuting this, he's watching. And God is working through his conscience because all along the way he's seeing these people who are committed to Christ regardless of whether we kill them, hurt them, uh, destroy their life, take away all their possessions, throw them in jail. Whatever we do to them, these people are just so zealous for Jesus. 
That's beginning to work on him because a goad, if you were a shepherd, if you were out on the hillside and you wanted to nudge uh, old Jimmy the sheep over there to get back in line, a goad would be the thing you would poke him with, right? And so it's kind of that thing. And so uh, Jesus is saying to him, look, I've been poking at you. I've been showing you all these people that, that are following me so faithfully. But Paul says, boy, I was resisting my conscience. I was resisting for a long time. And so again, he's being honest with his journey about, look, I did all these terrible things, and yet I just had this nagging thing inside me that, man, I should really think about what all these people are doing. And then I asked in verse 15, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you uh, to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see, um, and will see of me. And so we'll read the second, rest in a second. But just stop there a second. Paul is reflecting on upon a moment when his whole world changed, when everything that he believed changed. Right? He used to think Jesus is to be opposed. Now he realized that Jesus is alive. He is risen, and everything. His eyes, his ears are, are opened up. I don't know, every once in a while you find these fun videos on the internet of, oftentimes they're little kids. This was a baby that I saw this week, a, a baby that apparently was born without hearing, right? He was born deaf, and, and there was one of those cute little videos, adorable, and I don't mean that lightly, of where they put hearing aids on the baby, and then they turn them on, and then mom starts talking, a, parent, a family member starts talking, and, and all of a sudden you can you hear it. The moment that the sound waves hit for the first time because a big smile came on the baby's face and it was just a brand new sound that was well well timed okay. right, so it was a um, so this 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 adorable sound of eyes being opened and ears being opened and that's the picture I think that Paul is trying to say that boy so many things changed in a moment there that I saw everything differently. Jesus goes on to say, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so there's a great summary of everything that the New Testament's about. And then verse 19, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and now to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Uh, again, what a great summary of what the gospel is all about, right? Um, and so that's what his life has become. So watch how he goes from, boy, this is who I used to be. Boy, then I'm at Jesus. This is who Jesus is, risen Savior. And now my life is different, okay? He, he's just sharing this very tangible way of saying, look, I'm here because I, I'm trying to live this life. And, and I just want you to understand this is how I got here. This is who I am and why I think what I think and why I do what I do and why I'm willing to sit in a jail cell for two years and now when I get the chance to speak to those who have the freedom to let me go, I'm not going to talk about my case. I want to talk about Jesus because I want you to know about him. And so verse 21, that is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. And so I stand here, ongoing work of Jesus in his life. He has helped me to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So this is all going fine, right? He's being able to talk, share, and then Festus, the king, interrupts Paul's defense. You are crazy. You're out of your mind, Paul. What are you talking about? He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. So don't be surprised if you have a chance to, to share and people think you're crazy. That's okay. 
They did it to Paul. And Paul responds back, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. Again, he's king over Israel, Palestine, that whole area. He knows what's going on. He's hearing all these things about the church and all the stuff that's going on there and Jesus, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then he gets personal. He says, okay, what do you think about all this? Let's just, give me a response here. Tell me what you think about all this, Festus. And then Agrippa, the other king sitting there, said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? There's our word, right? Persuade. You think you, with well, a nice little sharing of your story, that you can persuade me to be a Christian? And I love Paul's response. Because it's the heart of a person who realizes, boy, I pray for, I love, I long for the opportunity to help somebody else know Jesus in a way. Paul replied, short time or long, whether it happens short or a long time from now, I pray to God that not only you, but everybody sitting in this courtroom who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. So I don't hope you end up in jail, but I hope you become a follower of Jesus like I am because it's the best life you'll ever find. And so as you walk through this story, what you find is that I think Peter talks about the heart of, of, of loving God, making Christ Lord, setting him, revering him above all things. And, and then opportunities come to say, hey, why do you live like that? Why do you think like that? Why, why are you a Christian and Paul demonstrates, I think, what that looks like then to, to seize that, to be able to, to be prepared to say, this is who I was, this is who I found Jesus to be, and this is what Jesus is doing in my life. And, and what do you think about that? And I think Paul demonstrates for us in a very practical way what that looks like, to be a person who just goes around persuading others. Again, we're not told. Um, in fact, it goes on to think they leave the courtroom, and it kind of ends there. We don't know what happens. But it's funny as you read the story how oftentimes the gospel would find its way into the Roman um, compounds, the Roman leadership, and from the younger, from the poorest to the richest, the gospel would spread, and it's because people would get to hear passionate people like Paul who loved Jesus with all that he had they were willing to suffer for him. And in those moments of suffering, they'd be able to share, this is why I do this. This is why I'm standing strong for Jesus and it made a difference, and people were drawn to Christ through that. And so I would just finish this today by just reminding us that there are, we live in a world, again, it's not cool, it's not kosher to uh, be a persuader of others. Um, and we don't have to be rude, obnoxious about it, but yet the opportunities are always there in the course of life, and oftentimes those opportunities come in moments that we hurt or other people hurt, where we get to bridge the pain of life with the hope of our Savior. And so I just hope today that that lands in your life. And maybe your challenge is, boy, is my life earning the right for people to ask questions? Is my life being lived in a way that, that people would want to know why I live the way I live? Or maybe it's the timidity on the other side of that, that, boy, I just, I'm afraid to open my mouth. I'll, I'll live the life, but boy, I'm afraid to say something about it. And so what, we probably all struggle with both of those things, but uh, it's my prayer that God would work in that and help us to be better and grow in that. We're going to sing a song about a lighthouse, and 
I will finish. I, I told a story a couple weeks ago negative about my dog, okay? And I still don't like my dog because at 3 o'clock this morning, he was waking up, scratching on the door, and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning because of my silly dog. But my dog has a sermon material. How about that? A couple weeks ago, we're out of town. Uh, the dog goes to grandma's. The dog is getting old, and I think he's got those cataract things in his eyes because he, he can't see. He's got like, cloudy things. He runs into walls. I don't know. He does the things. Anyway, not yet. But he's going to one of these days, and I'm going to laugh at him when he does. Um, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love my dog. Anyway, but he was at grandma's house, and it's bedtime. And at our house, he knows how to walk in the dark, right? He can find his way around. But normally in the past, you turn the lights off, he had good enough sight he could figure out where he was going. Well, mom told me that she turned the lights off, and he didn't go anywhere. He just started whining. And, and like he was, he just, he said he's having trouble. He's lost. He can't find his way because it's dark. So she had to go back and turn the light on so that he could go and find his way back to the bed. And I just thought, as I listen to Paul, a person who persuades others, it's, it's very much just being a, turn the light on for somebody. You don't know, what, he may still not go to bed, um, but boy, you can turn the light on for somebody in some way, shape, and form through the way you live your life and the things that you're able to share through your life. And so um, be a light turner on her. I don't know if that's appropriate English or not, probably not, but uh, be, turn on the light for somebody. And I love how Paul prays for that. Paul is passionate for that. Paul is looking for that. He is prepared. And so as you and I just live our life saying, God, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and sometimes those are come at the moments you least expect it, but God, help me to be prepared um, to try to persuade somebody to think about Jesus, to turn towards Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to encourage them and to turn a light on in some way in their life. Let's pray together. Father, thank